Well, good morning, everybody. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? I heard that on a commercial once. Can you hear me now? Hey, we've been talking for the last several weeks about how to filter uh, our followership. And uh, I, I uh, want you to look at this next slide here because I worked really hard on this alliteration. How many are impressed by that? How many like alliteration? Uh, we are focusing on filtering our following. What does that mean? Uh, if you look at this next slide, it's really the idea of we want to filter our lives through the big ideas of the Bible. We want to make sure that what comes out on the other side is people who are radically transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. And so we want to filter our life through the Ten Commandments, which we've been talking about here this month and next month. We want to filter our lives through the Beatitudes, which we talked about during the fall. We want to filter our lives through uh, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, which we're going to talk about here uh, in a few months in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. That is how we are transformed. It's by the work of God's Spirit and the Word of God working together on our lives. Can you say a big amen to that? And we have got to be so, so devoted and so clear on the fact that it's God's mission that we become more like Jesus Christ. And we don't just float through life. Nobody floats into maturity. Nobody stumbles into being just like Jesus. It takes proactive devotion and commitment where we say literally every day, Lord Jesus Christ of God, work in my life by your Spirit transform me, help me conform into your image, make me more like you so I live like you, love like you, and lead like you. And I believe that with all of my heart. Uh, today we're going to look at the, uh, uh, toward the end of the message, at commandment number three as we filter our life through the Ten Commandments. We're going to do it through uh, commandment number three, which is all about not misusing the name of the Lord our God in vain. You know, all of this comes down to uh, being very, very clear about, uh, about our biblical worldview. And, uh, you know, I had a guy come up to me last week after the sermon saying, you know, thank you for uh, making me think. And that's, that's really what I want to challenge us all to do, is to think deeply and think thoroughly about what we believe and why we believe it. I don't want to only tell us what to think, that's part of it, but I want to try to challenge us on how to think. How do I think? And to me, it all comes down to living in the center of these three circles. And I've been talking about it, and I like to just kind of review it. Let's go ahead and look at those circles if we have them there for us. You know, to me, the center of the three circles is all about living, loving, and leading. But the big circle on the left is biblical morality. That's the Ten Commandments. That's the eight Beatitudes, what we talked about in the fall and we're talking about right now. But that's not all. We don't just use our morality legalistically as a billy club to beat on people uh, that don't believe like we do. Uh, no, there's something called biblical purposes, and that's the great commandment, love God, love your neighbor, and the great commission, go into all the world and make disciples. You and I are here on purpose, for a purpose, and that is to reach people for Jesus. That's why we're here. You thought you were here for some other reason. No, we're here to advance God's kingdom. Can I hear a big amen to that? And uh, so biblical purpose is so important, but we need to do it with biblical virtues. What that means is we need to be all about loving other people. we got to figure out how to do that well. Uh, how do we live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead like Jesus? 1 Corinthians 13, fruit of the Spirit, so many passages talk about, about loving. And so we want to live in the center of these three circles. Uh, being grounded in God's Word is absolutely vital. 
I mean, if we are going to weather the storms of life with the waves and the winds of life beating hard on us, we have got to have a rudder called a biblical worldview. Uh, if you don't like this one, come up with your own that's, that's anchored deep in Scripture. But I love this one here for myself, and I wish it upon you, and it's certainly the direction of our entire church. We need to have a biblical worldview that serves as a rudder so we don't just make up stuff on the fly. You know, we live in a day and age where people are kind of making up all sorts of things. Uh, you know, people come up with their own purposes, their own values. Friends, there's one gospel, there's one kingdom, there's one Jesus, there's one Lord, that's it, and that's all. We don't make it up. Well, I have this value over here, I want, I'm fighting for this cause over there. No, it doesn't work that way. We anchor deep in God's word, and God then, uh, by his Holy Spirit, moves us forward uh, from that basis. You know, I... Uh, I was thinking the other day, you know, as a pastor, there are three groups of people that, that I address all the time. There are people that listen but don't really hear. I mean, they're present, but, you know, they don't quite hear what's going on. There's stuff going on, but they're not quite hearing it. Secondly, there's people who hear but don't really care to employ it or apply it. And then the third group, which is everybody at BCA are people that hear, listen, hear, and care so much that they want to put it into practice. Give your fellow brothers and sisters a big hand for being in group three. Everybody's in group three at BCA. Or at least we want to be, don't we? We want to listen. We want to hear what God is saying. And we want to go full bore in putting it into practice because we're really passionate about that. So developing a biblical worldview. Periodically, I like to as I read the New Testament, read some writings from the early church, like some of the creed, ancient creeds, like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or from the early church fathers a little bit. You know, those first, first Christians that were just in, in the middle and the throes of persecution. They were trying to figure it all out, and they didn't have the written Scripture like we do, and they were trying to uh, protect God's truth by boxing out heresies. Arianism and Gnosticism were two big heresies that the early church fought. And I'd love to just kind of capture the essence of the early church and how devoted they were to the pure gospel and the truth of God's word. We need to understand that back in that day, there was lots of scripture twisting. People came up with all sorts of ideas and heresies, and it's also that way today. People are taking a sliver of Scripture and then running with it all over the place. And you need to ask yourself, we all need to ask ourselves, what does God say, what does it mean, and how can I apply it purely and with a devoted, devoted heart? At the end of the day, we want to live, love, and lead like Jesus, like never, never before. Rick Warren said this, developing strong biblical convictions takes time and it takes commitment, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. I would say it this way, in the context of our series, living, loving, and leading like Jesus requires we anchor profoundly deep in God's word, we live passionately each day, fulfill his purposes, and intentionally lead first with love, empathy, and humility. I want to take a few minutes and just kind of show the spotlight on this whole idea of what does it mean to live, love, and lead like Jesus? You know, there are three words in the New Testament that start with the letter I that I think have a lot to say to you and me about how we can more faithfully 
and devotedly and effectively live out uh, the purposes of Christ. And the first word is the word imitate. We are to imitate who? We are to imitate Jesus Christ. What does it say in Ephesians 5? Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Follow God's example. That's the New International Version. But the ESV says, be imitators. Instead of follow God's example, it says, be imitators of God. The New King James Version says, be imitators of God. The authorized versions say, be ye imitators of God. The New Living Translation says, imitate God. We are to be like him. We are to imitate Jesus. I know that's not a new thought, but it's an important thought to underscore about 45 times here today. My life means to reflect Jesus. I'm to present and represent Jesus Christ in how I speak, how I live, how I act, how I relate, how I behave. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And then notice a couple of the other translations. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Be followers of me even as I am a follower of Christ. We are to imitate Jesus. When people look at you and speak of you, What do they say about you? Do they say, that person is really serious about Jesus? That person lives, loves, and leads like Jesus. That person is the real deal. You know, um, quite a few times in my life, I have had people say to me, has anybody ever said to you, you look like this actor or that actor? I mean, it's happened many times. And what I want them to say is that I look like one of these cats on screen right here. (laughs) My buddy Jason Bourne, Jack Reacher, Ethan Hunt, Mission Impossible, and of course the suave James Bond. That's, That's what I want them to say because those are my favorite movies. You know, the good guy takes out all the bad guys, you know, good, uh, you know, wins over evil. That's what I wanna hear. But what they say is I look like this guy, Michael Keaton. Now, I take that as an offense because he's a lot older than me. (laughs) And so when people say I look like him, they basically say that I am really a lot older than I am. But that aside, uh, you know, I hear that all all the time. And it happened again just a few weeks ago. I went into the bank, had my mask on, went to the teller, you know, transacted some business. And he said, hey, has anybody told you that you look like an actor? I'm going, okay, here it comes. I said, well, well, who? He goes, well, some guy named Keaton. Oh, Michael Keaton. Yeah, I have heard that quite a bit. And then I said to him, how in the world did you figure that out? I got this mask on. He said, well, you just showed me your ID. (laughs) I really got a kick out of that one because I wasn't thinking about my ID. I was just figuring, how, how could that guy look through my mask and see who I looked like? Well, the point is not so much any of that. The point is, spiritually speaking, Who do we look like? Who do we represent? Uh, Who do we reflect? Who do we imitate? Do people say, they remind me a lot of Jesus? I read the scripture and wow, they're serious, they're devoted, they're committed to living it out. They're the real deal. Who do you look like? Do you live, love, 
lead like Jesus? Evaluate yourself. Think deeply. In what area of your life do you need to conform to the image of Christ and and, uh, imitate him better? We all need to grow. That is for sure. Every one of us are on uh, the road. None of us have arrived. Where do you need to reflect Christ more, imitate Christ more? Is it in your conversation? Maybe you blew up at your spouse this past week. Is it other relationships where you have treated people with disrespect? Is it your thought life? Is it uh, in your finances? Is it, uh, you know, at work? You know, you can add to that list as well as I can. Where do you need to more faithfully imitate Christ? The second I word is image bearers. We talked about this interestingly last week when we talked about building a theology of life. And, uh, you know, we looked uh, at... uh, Commandment number six, where it says, thou shalt not murder. And I said, if you zoom in, it says murder. But if you zoom out, it's all about life. And we talked about all sorts of scriptures that deal with life. And one of them was this verse right here. Uh, Every single person that's ever been created bears the image of God and has incredible, extraordinary value. We are to protect and respect life. We're to be image bearers. Look at Genesis 5.1. When God created mankind, he made him in the likeness of God. Genesis 9, 6, for in the image of God has God made mankind. And then I find this interesting, James chapter 3. It says we have been created in God's likeness. And then he goes on to say, so why don't you talk like it? (laughs) That's the passage on the tongue. And James goes into into detail saying, you know, you're, you're speaking in a completely different way than a Christian should. You are a Christian. You are Christ-like. You should act like it. You should speak like it. Renowned theologian J.I. Packer said, image-bearing really means representative likeness. I like that. Representative like We are to represent and have a likeness with Jesus Christ. Our behaviors, our beliefs, our conduct, our character, our speech, our attitude. Here's the reality, and that is this, that Our image, if you look at these arrows that pop up here, our image was lost and stained in the fall, back there in Genesis 3. God made man in his own image, just took a few chapters, Genesis 3, man sins, boom, kind of messed things up. But all is restored in Jesus Christ. Can I hear a big amen to that? And it's going to be perfected when we get to heaven. In fact, hopefully we're being sanctified and and we're conforming and being transformed in this life until that day we go to heaven and we're becoming more like him. That's the idea that we grow and become more and more like him. And uh, I like what it says in uh, Romans 8, 29. It says, we are to be conformed to the image of his son. Jesus said in Matthew 5, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Perfect not as in, you know, no sin or mistake, but perfect as in mature, growth, becoming more like Jesus. The third I word is influence. We are to be salt and light. We are to be witnesses, ambassadors, representatives of Jesus. We're to be a bridge that people can cross to faith, not a barrier or a blockade. Influence. We're here on purpose for a purpose, and that is to reach people who are far from God, to influence them for Jesus Christ, to compel them to come, not repel them from coming. 
There's a couple of scriptures that I think about often on this, and that is Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, Paul says here in Colossians 4, that God may open a door for our message. He's saying pray for us that, that a door will be opened so we can proclaim the mystery of Christ, so we can tell people about Jesus. And then he goes on to say, pray that we proclaim it clearly. And then he says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Let that verse really, really sink in because I think it's extremely profound and many Christians just kind of fly right over that. We're here on purpose for a purpose and we need to be wise in the way we act toward outsiders. Outsiders are people outside the faith. We need to be conscious, aware, thoughtful of people outside the faith and that should compel us to live our lives in a very circumspect fashion to where we are thinking, how can I help people find Christ if they just read my life? Instead of blowing up at people, screaming at people, you know, demonstrating road rage, all sorts of whatever else. It's a very thought-provoking thought here. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer any of everyone. That is a very compelling scripture to me with regard to uh, fulfilling our purpose, and that is to be an influence for Christ. There's another passage, and there are many others, but Colossians chapter 3 is really interesting because it says several things here, and you see it on the screen. It says, set your mind on things above. Get your mind moving in the right direction. Get your mind right. And then it says, take off the, the sinful nature. You know, it kind of uses put on certain clothes, take off certain clothes, put off the sinful nature. Get, get rid of that stuff, you know, envy and greed and hatred. Get rid of that stuff. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. Bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Represent the name of Jesus. Be a good servant for Jesus. Represent him well. Draw people to him. And that is a great verse that serves as a segue to commandment number three. Do not misuse the name. Do not take the name in vain. What does that mean? In its most fundamental and foundational sense, it means fear and revere God always. Let's explain that. Let's unpack that just a little bit. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses your name. So we want to filter our lives through commandment number three. We're filtering our lives through the Ten Commandments, the Eight Beatitudes, the love chapter, and then what comes out the other end is people who have been transformed by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. What's in a name? You know, in our culture, it's a little different. You go to the Old Testament, they have these various names and, and you know, they're very spiritual, you know, courage and wisdom and love and, and goodness and justice, you know. I have to do a little uh, etymological study on the word rob. I don't know how uh, uh, potent that is, but uh, back in the Old Testament time, they had these names that really connected them with their person, and no more is that true than with God himself. The titles, the, the names of God are not mere titles in the Old Testament. They speak about his person, his character, 
um, his work, his power. And over again, as we read these names, we're reading about his nature, his being, his person, and we're reminded every time we look at a name of God, we need to fear and revere. We need to fear and revere. We must be in awe of his majesty. I think you and I and everybody, quite frankly, in this culture needs to turn up the thermostat on the awe meter, A-W-E, the awe meter when it comes to God. We need to be in more awe. We need to fear and revere, not fear like we're in a corner huddling, shaking, shivering, but we, we fear as in respect. We, we fear as in revere God. There is one God, and we're not it. There's one God, and he's almighty. There's one God, and he's the majestic one. And if we truly fear and revere him, we are going to be humbled and we are going to be better situated to live, love, and lead like Jesus than ever before. We need to fear and revere God. The Bible says a lot about the name of the Lord. Look at a few of these scriptures. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. Psalm 8, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Psalm 9.10, Those who know your name, trust in you. How about Jesus in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Over and over again, we see references to the name of God. If you take the third commandment and you look at it in its present kind of more negative prohibition, it says, do not misuse, do not use, or take the name of the Lord God in vain. But if you want to put it in a positive way, I would say fear and revere Almighty God, at all times, in all ways, in all things, fear and revere. How do we do that? Well, I've listed a few things here on the screen. Recognize his lordship over our lives and creation. Recognize his lordship. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is, he is king. Realize his majesty over all. Reaffirm your commitment to live your life to glorify him. That's a powerful start to understanding what it means to fear and revere. Imagine if we prayed this every day. Imagine if this became kind of our, our, uh, our, our mantra. God, I want to recognize your lordship. I want to realize uh, that you're majestic and king over all. I want to reaffirm my commitment to you in all things and in all ways. You know, Taking God's name in vain can be described as follows. You know, it goes beyond swearing and cursing and all those things, which, which is a part of it for sure. But, but going beyond that, because that's about the limit of what many people think about when they think of this commandment, I would say taking his name in vain, misusing, misusing God's name is when we disrespect, dishonor, and disobey him and refuse to follow his teaching. Choose to not obey. Another illustration or example is to be flippant, insincere, and take him and his word lightly. That's no big deal. Whatever God says, ah, not no big deal. If I get around to it, I'll get around to it. He says, do this, Ah, I might. He says, don't, Ah, you know, I might do it anyway. Taking it lightly, insincerity. Here's another one. To misappropriate his name for my purposes or causes. Now that is something I see a lot in society today. 
regardless of a person's political view, you got one person on this side, one person on that side. Regardless of a person's ideological view, you got one person on this side, one person on that side. You know, different philosophies, different this, different that. You will get both sides appropriating God's name to defend their side. And they're polar opposites. They can't both be right. They both can be wrong, but they can't both be right. And people take God's name lightly and they use it any which way they want to advance their cause. That is misusing God's name. And it grieves the heart of God. To lie or use his name to perpetuate half-truths or untruths takes God's name in vain. We're to res- represent God. We, as Christians, we're little Christs. We're to reflect him, imitate him, represent him, present him to a lost and dying world. We bear his name. We bear the image of God. People need to see Jesus in us. Like one commentator said, taking his name in vain is to falsify who God is and what he stands for. Indeed, each person should actively reflect God's nature in their actions, speech, thoughts, and plans. All of life. And I would say to that, that's what living, loving, and leading like Jesus is really all about. Misusing, taking his name in vain. So ask this question. Does my life show respect, awe, devotion, worship, honor? Do I fear and revere him? Do I need to turn up the awe meter in my life? the awe thermostat to where I humble myself and revere and fear him more than ever before. To recognize his majesty, to be in awe of his lordship, to be just flattened by his grace and mercy, to understand he is the God of the universe, the creator of the cosmos. I can't help but think of the Old Testament names of God when I Read the third commandment. Many of you will recall these names. El means the mighty strong God. Another Hebrew name for God is Elohim, which means the creator God. El Shaddai, the ultimate power over all God. How about Jehovah Jireh? You know what that means? Our provider. Anybody ever needed God's provision? Like all of us. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Anybody ever needed God's healing? Maybe even you need it now. He is our healer. How about uh, uh, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner, God of deliverance and salvation. Anybody ever need to be saved, delivered? You better believe it. How about Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies, makes holy. He purifies and makes us holy and grows us into the image of Christ. How about Jehovah Shalom? He is our peace. Anybody ever been overwhelmed by stress and chaos and uncertainty and needed the peace of God that passeth all understanding? How many are glad our God is a God of peace? That's the name of God. How about Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness? Jehovah Rohi, the Lord our shepherd. I shall not want. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. We have people in our church family that are going through cancer. We got people in our church family going through all sorts of heartache, pain, and challenge. God is with you, friend. 
He's with you. He's behind you. He's beside you. He's in front of you. He's in you. He cares about you. Jehovah Shammah. I think of the three omnis. He's omniscient. He knows everything. Omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. Omnipotent. Our God is all-powerful. I think of names of God like he is infinite and eternal. There's no beginning and no end. He's imminent and transcendent. He's above everything. But he's also as close as a one-on-one relationship. He's both Abba, Father, that very intimate name in the New Testament where he's like our spiritual father, our close, you know, the most wonderful earthly father you can imagine times a whole lot. And on the same hand, he's also a consuming fire. He's both. I think of the names of Jesus. He's the bread of life. Remember the I am's? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. You are the branches. Our God is an awesome God. He must be feared and revered as such. And I think every single one of us would do well. And I invite you to join me in turning up the awe meter and spending some time at the close of this service and throughout this week where you just stand, sit, or lay in the presence of God and say, Lord, I am in awe of your majesty. I am stirred by your wonder. There is no one greater than you. Your name is an everlasting name. Your kingdom is forever. Turn up the awe meter just a bit. Ask God to help you be impacted by your fresh awareness of his awesomeness to where it humbles you to live, love, and lead like Jesus, like never before. We represent him. Let's pray we do it authentically well. Lord, as we bow our hearts and heads, we thank you for a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of grace. We thank you for all you've done for us and what you did on the cross when you died for our salvation. Today, Lord, we say thank you. And we want our lives to be a thank you letter to you for all you've done for us by how we live, love, and lead like you. We want to represent you. We want to imitate you. We want to filter our lives through Scripture, the Ten Commandments, and the love chapter. And we want to be authentically genuine image bearers reflecting Jesus Christ in our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes, our conversations. With every head bowed and every eye closed, how many would say, Pastor Rob, I'm not a Christian, but I want to commit my life to Christ. I want to get on the Jesus road, and I want to follow him and put him first in my life. Maybe you've known the Lord in the past, but you've slipped away, or maybe you're here today for the first time, and you want to commit your life to him. Would you just raise your hand? Nobody look around. Just raise your hand. Hold it there for a moment. I want to pray for you in these closing moments. Today, I want to commit my life to Christ. I want to put Christ first in my life. God bless you. For those of you that are watching online, 
I invite you to commit your life to Christ. And with those here, you at home, just simply pray, Jesus, I commit my life to you. I want to follow you authentically. I want to be faithful and true in putting you first in my life. I want to live, love, and lead like you. Come into my life. Forgive me my sins. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to imitate you, Lord. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. I'm in awe of your power and your wonder. I magnify your name. Great is the Lord. Loving, kind, and true. If you're here today, and if you were honest, you'd say, you know, I've been a little bit, a little bit flippant, a little bit inconsistent, a little bit unfaithful in my followership, and I need to step up my game. I had several people talk to me about that very thing after the first service today. Would you just recommit your life here and now to Jesus and just say, Lord, I'm all in. I want to be a fervent follower of Jesus through and through. Go ahead and surrender areas of your life that need to be committed to him. Talk to him about areas where there's been egregious backsliding. Tell him you want to put him first in your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions, your words. And if you're a follower of Christ, join me. Join me in turning up the awe meter, saying, Lord, I want to spend more time worshiping you and honoring you and glorifying you. You are magnificent and majestic and all-powerful and true. Our God is an awesome God. God, I pray your blessing on everyone as we get ready to leave this place in a moment. Give us a great week. May we be incredible imitators of you and influence many people to find their way to Christ. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a closing song, and our prayer team's going to come forward. If we could agree with you in prayer on any issue, please come forward. We'd love to pray with you. Let's sing, and then we'll be dismissed.